All right, let's get into Colossians. We are in Colossians chapter 3, close to wrapping up this chapter, and here is what Paul has been doing. In chapter 3, he's been telling us that there are some things in true Christianity that we are to kill off in the old man. Some things that we do not need to be a part of any longer. There are some things that he painted the portrait of that Christians need to, like an old dirty garment, need to toss out, cast off, take off, and throw away, burn, never put these things back on. And then there were some things that he's been telling us we need to put on. As a new Christian, there's a new uniform, if you will. There's a new outfit to be worn. And I showed you a couple weeks ago, we went through the list, and I had Grady up here, and he put on the different layers of the garment, and we talked about compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. We talked about all the things that we're to be putting on now that we've cast off the old man. What does a Christian look like, Paul? And he told us. Did you notice that everything that Paul mentioned for us now to put on as a new Christian, and even the things negatively that he told us we're to take off uh, from the old man, have something to do with the relational culture of your life? Did you notice that? That every one of those items that were to cast off, and even now the items that were to put on, have some reference to a relationship that you are to be in. You see, compassion is no good if it's just you. You have to have compassion towards something, towards someone. Kindness needs a second party, right? As you go through the list of what a Christian looks like, the garments we're to be putting on, love, all these, all these things, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, bearing with one another, we need another person. We need a one another, right? So point number one is it's a relational context. What I pointed out to you last week is we were in verse 16, the first half, let the word of Christ richly dwell within your hearts, teaching and admonishing with all wisdom. Last week I pointed out a couple simple things. We talked about some of the things we've learned, some of the things that you've gathered as we've walked through, verse by verse, the book of Colossians. And then we read that verse. What are we to be doing with the word of Christ, the gospel of Christ? All these things we're learning through Paul, through these letters that we find in our Bible. What are we to do with these things? And Paul said, you're to allow them to take root in your heart. They, they don't want to just rent a space in your heart. They want to take up residence. That's what it meant to richly dwell within you. God wants to, through his word, abide in you. He wants to tabernacle with you. He wants to take up residence. It's the difference between just renting and renovating. God wants to renovate our lives from the inside out, and he uses his word to do that. The gospel of Jesus Christ, namely, is the renovating factor in our life. And so we're to allow it to take root, take hold, live in us. It's not just a part-time thing. It's not just a temporary thing. It's an owner, not a renter. All right? And so we're to let, just as we let the peace of Christ abide in our hearts and rule in our hearts between one another, he says we're to allow now the word of Christ to dwell richly among us. And on both occasions, in both verse 15, where the peace of Christ is to rule in your hearts, plural, and where the word of Christ, verse 16, is to richly dwell within you, Plural. Now we're to do that with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing who? One another. And if you remember, the takeaway point from last week is notice that it's a one another game. Notice that the teaching and admonishing that Paul mentioned last week about the word of Christ ritually dwelling us. What are we to do with it? We're to use it to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. That's not a pastor job solely. 
and maybe not even primarily. That is a one another job. It's a relational context. Everything that Paul's been listing here in chapter 3 about what Christianity looks like is about you together, us together. It's not about pastor does this and you carry out. It's about what what does Christianity look like for all of us? Well, between the one another's, it looks like putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, beyond all these things, love, perfect bond of unity. It looks like the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts, in between us, being referee in our lives, between us. And it looks like the Word of God richly dwelling in each one of us so that we can teach one another and encourage, admonish one another with all wisdom. It's an us job. So my my single takeaway last week was, do you realize that you're in on that responsibility? You have a relational responsibility. Now, maybe maybe um, you keep that within the context of Sunday morning. And so my first takeaway this week is that it's not just a Sunday morning job. It goes beyond Sunday morning. The responsibility you have to relationships goes beyond Sunday morning. The responsibility you have to the passage we talked about last week, the teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, that goes beyond Sunday morning. Very simply, that means that you can't just read that passage and think, well, when we come together on Sunday morning, then we're going to speak the word of Christ to each other and we'll teach and admonish one another and then we'll go back to our own life of individual Christian living Monday through Saturday. Now, you have to understand that Paul was writing to a people and the Holy Spirit passes it down to us in a context that, that says we all carry that responsibility away from here on Sunday morning. I mean, it would be silly to think this just applies to Sunday morning. The responsibility we have to be relational, to be in community, to live in a culture of relationship as Christians is a full-time responsibility. Life as a Christian isn't an individual sport. It's a team sport. You can't be a lone ranger Christian. It isn't healthy and it doesn't work. It's not the way God has designed it to be. Um, Why does it happen then sometimes that we see people, believers, strike out on their own in isolation from the church? You ever seen that happen? Do you know anyone that's happened to? We probably all do. There may be even a time in your own life where you find yourself, as a Christian, you would say, I'm a believer, but I've been, I've been living this thing like an individual sport. I've been living out my Christianity apart from a local body of Christ, apart from a body of believers. If I'm a hand, I've been living out there chopped off all by myself, apart from the body. Well, why does that happen? Um, I've found that typically it's usually one of two reasons this happens. Number one, and in either case, Uh, It doesn't work out well for the individual. They're never better off when this happens. One of the reasons this happens that I've found typical is that something maybe tragic happens in this person's life. Something tragic happens. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe there was a, a death. Maybe a divorce. Some sort of significant loss that causes a rift between that individual believer's heart and the heart of God. And now they find themselves in a hard place, in a storm of life where God is farther away than maybe he's ever felt before. And at odds with God, they walk away from the body of Christ so to insulate themselves from the person of Christ. 
You see how that works? You see, when we're around the people of Christ, we draw near to Christ. When we're around the people of God, we draw closer to God. And very often when something in life happens, the storms of life come. And maybe you, maybe you know this is part of your story, part of your journey. We find ourselves stiff-arming the people of God in order to insulate ourselves from the person of God. So that's one reason I found. Uh, another reason that people strike out on their own is that something offensive happens in the personal relationships that they have in the body of Christ. Something offensive happens that causes the person to pull back and say, I don't want any part of that. And if I asked for a show of hands, if you've been in the church for very long in your life, you probably know a story or two like that. Where somebody got rubbed the wrong way. Somebody got offended. Somebody didn't like the way something went down in the body of Christ. And they walk away. And their mind and their heart tells them that I'd be better off apart than I would be to be a part. And the truth is, that never works out well either. In one scenario, people are, are stiff-arming God. In another scenario, they're stiff-arming the people of God. In either case, not only does it not help us as the body of Christ, obviously, but it doesn't, it doesn't end up helping them. You never hear those stories where that person ends up better on their own, do you? Usually it ends in bitterness. Usually it ends with regret. And usually it ends in a story of loneliness. Each old garment that the Christian is instructed to take off and each new garment that we are encouraged to put on is about relationships. Relationships. Paul, I want you to notice, is describing the relational culture of your Christianity. What is Christianity supposed to look like? Chapter 3 is broken, if you want to put it into broad strokes, it's broken into three sections. Verse 1 through 4 is the transition section. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. That's, that's who we are. That's our status. That is our salvation. It is the truth about who you are. It's the summation of chapters 1 and chapters 2. Count that as true Christianity. You are in Christ. Think on those things. Think on a heavenly level. What about my life here on earth? That's the next section of chapter 3. It's about the things that we are to cast off and it's about the things we are to put on. The whole center section is a general teaching about how we live in relationships. The third section of chapter 3 starts in verse 18. What's the first word? Wives. Now we get specific. And so the transition about who we are, what is our status in Christ? What's the truth about our salvation? Generally, how do we live with each other? And then he wraps up chapter 3 by saying specifically, wives, you do this. Husbands, do this. Children, act like this. Fathers, act like this. Slaves, workers, masters, and he gets specific. And then he talks to specific people and he wraps up the whole letter. Chapter 3, three sections. Pretty easy. We wrap up that third section today. We've been talking in verse 15, 16, and 17. 
Paul is describing a relational culture in Christianity. It's all about relationships. Patience, humility, kindness, forgiveness, they all work themselves out in relationships. If they're not working themselves out in the Christian relationships, guess what? People stiff arm and they walk away. So takeaway number one, you have a responsibility to one another beyond Sunday morning. So let's pause and ask ourselves before we move on to uh, takeaway number two for the day. How, how are you doing right there? Are you living out your Christianity in relationships? All right, so pause long enough, even as we sit here, to ask yourself maybe that hard question. Are you living out your Christianity Solo, or are you living it out in relationships? Is this the extent of your relational ties to the body of Christ, what you do on Sunday morning? And maybe this isn't even happening. I mean, maybe this isn't happening on a consistent enough basis. And that's just, that's really just the surface of it, isn't it, Jeff? <laughs> what we do here on Sunday morning? I mean, this is just, this is just, the tip of the iceberg of what Christianity is. Are you living out relational Christianity beyond what you do here on Sunday morning? The sad truth is some of us aren't even living it out in relationships here on Sunday morning on a consistent level. We're hit or miss. We're two out of three. We're three out of four at best. And our relational Christianity ends right there. But if we push even further beyond that, what happens with you and the body of Christ outside of right here Sunday morning? Anything? I think you know that. Uh, I think you know that we need you, right? I mean, we all get the fact that uh, without each other, we're not complete. And so that's really not my, uh, my emphasis this morning. My emphasis, my heart this morning, is not to encourage you to be in relationships just because we need you. But I hope that you know that you need to be in relationships because you need it. Um, God has reminded me even very recently that, that I need it. That I need it. We need it. it, it this isn't just a... This isn't just a a preaching at you saying, we need you here. We need you to be a part, fill a role, do a job. And what I'm saying to you is, is, is you need it. Christianity is not meant to work out on your own in a healthy way. It's not healthy for you to live it out that way. And beyond that, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way because it's not the way God designed it. Incidentally, um, the success of this church, let's just talk about Cornerstone. The success of this church rises and falls on your willingness to live in a relational culture of community. And that, that's just the bottom line. I've been doing this ministry thing long enough, not just here at Cornerstone, but before that. I've been doing it long enough to know that good teaching, yeah, that's important. Uh, good music, yeah, that's important. Good children's ministry, it's important. But you know what I found? All other things being equal, relationships make or break the church. Relationships make or break the local church. 
I went to one of our life groups a week or so ago. It's one of our life groups that uh, meets in one of our younger couples' homes, and it's full mostly of younger couples, newer families, thinking of having children, just having children. And I felt impressed to say to them, as members of this family, as part of this body of Christ, because I sensed that maybe, maybe as younger families, younger couples in a, in a church, in a local body of Christ, we still have this perception. I'll put myself, even though I just turned 38, I'll still put myself in that younger category because I think that way still. Maybe some of you do, even though you're in your 30s and 40s. But especially to our 20-something-year-old couples and to our singles, we need, I think we need to remind them, listen, at some point you have to take responsibility for the local church that you call home. We can't leave it to the older generation to keep up, right? At some point we have to grow up and say, this is now our responsibility. And we take responsibility for the next season of Cornerstone Church family life. And I say that to say to you that the key to that, I think, in my, in my experience, is are you going to be in relationships or not? Are you going to invest in relationships and are you going to allow people to invest in relationship with you? Beyond what we do here on our surface, tip of the iceberg, relationship building on Sunday morning. The body of Christ cannot be a healthy body of Christ if the only time we feed it the only time we care for it is right here on Sunday morning. And so, just a practical question. When's the last time you invited another family into your home for a meal? When's the last time you noticed someone else in the body of Christ, maybe that was hurting, someone that was in need, just needed a friend, just needed encouragement, needed assistance, needed something, and just said, hey, let's grab coffee. When's the last time that you invested in someone in that way? When's the last time you took initiative in that way? Or is Sunday morning the only part of the relationship you want to have. I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't make for a healthy body. It doesn't make for a growing body. People don't stick to that kind of church. The success of this church rises and falls on the willingness that you have to live in community, to live in relationships. Alright, so... Let me jump to our second takeaway. If the first takeaway is relationships in a word, if you want to make note of the second takeaway in just a word, put down gratitude or thankfulness. Gratitude or thankfulness. Take your choice. Paul uses the word thankfulness. In the three verses we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks, he talks about thankfulness three times in three verses. Each of the activities that he mentions in verse 15... 16 and 17 has a corresponding attitude that goes with it. Let me say that again. For each of the activities in 15, 16, and 17, there is a corresponding attitude that is to go along with that activity. So let me walk you through it. Verse 15, what's the activity? It's to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we were called in one body. And so we're talking about community here. What are we supposed to be doing? In our hearts, we're letting the peace of God, the peace of Christ, rule. He plays a referee in our hearts, between us. Why do we let that happen? Well, because we're called into one body. That's what he says. Do you notice, though, that he tags something on here? And I didn't mention it very specifically the first time we went through this verse. 
But it's almost like this addition that we kind of gloss over. It, it doesn't seem to make sense. And be thankful, he says at the end of that verse. Go on to verse 16. Let now the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's the activity. How does that play out? Well, with all wisdom, we teach and admonish one another. Again, relation, community. The activity with the word of God in our heart is that with wisdom, we in community teach one another, admonish one another towards that word, towards that truth that we get from Christ. That's the activity. But there's a corresponding attitude that goes with it. Do you notice? With psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's the attitude that goes with it. Now, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed. It's as if Paul says, listen, I I could go on and on. And he probably could. He could talk about the peace of Christ. He could talk about the word of Christ. He could talk about this of Christ, that of Christ. All these things that we need to be focusing on. All anchored to Christ, by the way. But he just says now in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, make sure that it's connected to Jesus. Make sure that that Jesus is the is the focus. Now, that's the activity. And he kind of bookends the whole thing and says, whatever you do, whether it's whether it's just with your mouth, how you speak to one another, it's how you treat one another in your in your deeds, in your in your activities. That is the activity. Again, connected to Christ. What is the corresponding attitude? Do you see it? Giving thanks through him to God the Father. The same three attitude in all three verses. The same three corresponding attitudes to all three actions. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What's the key to doing that? What's the key to letting God rule in our differences? When we don't agree, how do we let God really referee? Well, you know what helps that? I think, I think that tag at the end of the verse. That attitude tag. Did you notice it? And be thankful. More literally, it could say, and live out thankfully. How do, I, how do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Thankfulness is a key. When I'm a thankful person for what God has done for me, when I understand what He's done for me, when I count those blessings, when I am, when I am living out with gratitude my Christianity, how much easier is it for me to let the peace of God rule in between me and you? You see how it works? See how the attitude empowers our activity? Look at the next verse. Not just the peace of Christ, now the word of Christ. So what is the attitude? The attitude is this whole section here we get when he says, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now I'm not going to go into the differences in those because I, don't, I think it will just bog us down today. Don't get lost in the differences between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's, it's about rejoicing. It's about joy. It's about happiness in the body of Christ. In the culture of relationships, there should be a joy and a happiness. There should be this overflow in song. Whatever kind of spiritual song it is, whether it's hymns, psalms, whatever, whatever spirit leads you to sing, whether it's a spirit of gratitude or thankfulness, whatever kind of spirit leads you to sing out to God, the attitude, the general attitude that he's talking about here that allows the, the Word of God to, 
live in our life fully and flesh out in our life, it's an attitude of thankfulness. You see, we, we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. So what's the attitude? Once again, it's an attitude of gratitude that changes our attitude towards one another. So as we're teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, if we're, if we're living a life of song towards God, of rejoicing towards God, of thankfulness towards God, how easy will it be to, in wisdom, teach and encourage, admonish one another? And finally, I don't care what you do, Paul says, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What's the attitude? We do it with an attitude of giving thanks through Him to God the Father. How, how could um, the pervasive attitude of thankfulness in my heart change my relationships with you? How could a pervasive attitude of gratitude in your hearts change your relationships with one another? We've already said we have to live in relationships. We've already said we're called to live in community. I think there's some sort of key here that Paul is trying to hint towards. That each one of these activities that we have to flesh out in community, that we're commanded to live out in community, there's a secret. And I think it's thankfulness. Um, a guy named uh, Hans Seil, put his picture up there, Mike. A guy named Hans Seil is known to be one of the greatest endocrinologists of all times, a Canadian um, born in uh, 1907, I believe, died in the 80s. He's famous for his work in the area of stress. In fact, um, before this guy uh, did his research in the area of stress, we didn't really have a category of health care that dealt with stress care. He really uh, pinpointed stress, and he was the beginning of stress being sort of a disease. He connected stress to all the difficulties that we have with our health. I watched an interview with him this week, and he said stress could be the cause or at least a symptom of every disease that we know. And he said, I think that even the diseases that we don't have a cause for, it is safe to say stress is a great participant. Hans wrote a book on how we control stress, and he said something interesting. He basically said that in life, in his estimation, there are two emotions that are crucial for us to have what he called a successful life. I don't know if he was a believer or not, but in his research and all of his work on stress and how it affects our lives, he said there are really two emotions that I've found over and over consistently to be indicators of whether somebody has a fulfilled or successful, whatever you want to call it, life or not. This is what he said. These two emotions, on them depend our peace of mind, our feelings of security or insecurity, of fulfillment or frustration. In short, the extent to which we make a successful life, the most destructive emotion I've found is revenge. But in contrast, among all the emotions, there is one which 
more than any other accounts for the absence or the presence of stress in human relationships. And that is the feeling of gratitude or thankfulness. I think he's on to something. I think Paul would say he's on to something. I think he's pretty close to being biblical. I might change his negative emotion from revenge to maybe pride or covetousness. I think that might be more accurate according to Scripture. But I think according at least to Colossians, he's dead on. He's found that success in life when it comes to peace, peace in relationships, fulfillment, lack of frustration, in a positive sense has to do with whether or not we live out our life with an attitude of thankfulness or gratitude. Now, I'm not just talking about like Oprah's secret or Dr. Phil's you know, trick to live a healthy and fulfilled life. We're, we're talking Bible here. Right? So this isn't just some secret prayer. You can, you can count your blessings every evening one by one and just automatically turn into a healthy relational Christian. I don't, think it's that, I don't think it's that superficial. But maybe we don't need to complicate it so much either. How grateful do you live? How grateful do you live? If you listen to interviews of people who have gone through tragic scenarios, have lost loved ones, you read articles or listen to interviews of people who went through um, Nazi death camps, anyone who's been through very tragic situations or who has experienced great loss, you hear a reoccurring theme very often. That they look back and the things that they appreciate now in distress are the things that they never thought they would appreciate. Maybe it would be healthy to think of some of the things that if they were missing, you would actually miss. That every day maybe you take for granted. Your health, your home, your friends, your finances, your spouse, your children. Just by way of example, and, and, I, and I can't really think of any better one, but just by way of example... I thought uh, even last night, if I were to lose one of my children, what would be the things that I would miss? Put another way, what would be the things that therefore I would be the most grateful to have back? And therefore I should be even more grateful for now when I have them. You know what came to mind? It, didn't, it, it wasn't anything grand. It wasn't a trip to Disney. It wasn't some special event. It wasn't a touchdown that Grady may have scored in a game. It was nothing that grand. It was, uh, for Corbin, the first thing that came to mind, my younger son, it was just seeing him while he's sleeping at night with one of his stuffed animals and just all the crazy, wild positions we find him in when we turn out his nightlight. I'd miss just seeing that one more time. For my older son, it, it's the look he has when he first gets up on a Saturday or a Sunday morning, not on a school morning because he's grumpy on those mornings, but on a Saturday or a Sunday morning when, uh, like this morning, he wandered upstairs to find me uh, finishing up my message and he just has this sweet, innocent, uh, I can't wake up look and it just makes me smile every time. I I'd miss that. 
Maybe this morning it would be healthy in a godly way, not in a Dr. Phil, Oprah, some sort of superficial, uh, psychological ploy in our own minds and hearts, but in a biblical way, it would be healthy for us just to stop and say, God, thank you. I think Paul would say, you, you, you want to know how, how you live out in general this Christian thing, how you take things off in relationships and put off anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth and not lying to one another, uh, how, to, how to put off that old man, how to put on the new man of, of, of compassion and kindness and patience. How do, we, how do we do that? I think even beyond wrapping it up in unity, as we, as we let peace rule in our hearts and we let the Word of God dwell in our hearts richly, no matter what we do, I, I think it, it, there has to be this permeating, pervasive attitude of gratefulness and thanksgiving to our Father in us that allows us to look beyond some of the stuff that gets in the way to say, hey, what's really important here? What's really important is that Christ is all if He is in all. That's it. An attitude of thankfulness might, might help keeping us from stiff-arming each other in relationships sometimes, I think. And so, for our second takeaway, in a word, thankfulness or gratitude, the hard questions I'll leave to the Holy Spirit as we close. Pray with me. Father, I... Uh, I ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts and minds, even now, before we leave, to ask the hard and challenging questions connected to our attitude of thankfulness. And Lord, uh, for me personally, you have challenged me to count my blessings and to look at, look at my current situation in life and and home, and family, and friends, and um, all of it, Lord, and look at it with, uh, with eyes of gratitude. Holy Spirit, do, do that work in each of our hearts this morning, even before we leave. And my prayer as a pastor of this body is that that thankfulness becomes a primary character trait of this body of Christ. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that if we become this, this body of Christ, this family of God, this local church that is known to have an attitude of thankfulness, we will be a body that is strong and healthy and connected in ways that, that maybe we, we haven't yet been. And those who would come and, and, and seek to connect to this local body of Christ for fellowship and for worship and for discipleship and for ministry, they would find a, a place that is overwhelmed with a spirit of gratitude towards you, our Father. And Lord, my suspicion is a whole lot of the other stuff those other garments were to put on will begin to take care of themselves. There'll be more love. There'll be more kindness. There'll be more forgiveness. There'll be more patience. We'll be able to bear with one another in a greater way. 
we'll be teaching one another and admonishing one another and, and there'll be great wisdom in it because it's wisdom tempered by our gratitude. Your word says, for those who have been forgiven much, they have a greater capacity to love much. And so, Lord, we know how much we've been forgiven of. And so our gratitude is growing towards you for forgiving us, for loving us in spite of ourselves, for loving us in spite of our sin. But, Lord, our gratitude is growing, is growing towards one another as we realize that none of us are perfect we all have been in need of grace. And so this morning, Father, as we get ready to depart, we, uh, we realize, as your word tells us, that we are standing in grace. And Lord, uh, that, is a, that is a peaceful place to be. So fill our hearts with thankfulness as we focus on your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand and sing?